Still holding your place there in John 3? All right, we'll get there in just a few minutes, so keep holding your place. I I read an article this week about Darren Lee, uh, who is a red shirt freshman linebacker for the Ohio State Buckeyes, who played his high school ball uh, not too far from us at uh, New Albany High School. In high school, Darren played multiple positions. If I remember the article correctly, I, I think he played quarterback, safety, uh, maybe cornerback, and I think he might have even played some uh, wide receiver and had some uh, kick return duties, if I uh, remember all the different things he did. Uh, he was recruited to Ohio State as an athlete, and it was projected that he could end up at a number of different positions once he got to Ohio State. And so as he got there and he started going through their training program, you know, lifting weights and, and doing all that they do with their, uh, with their college football players, he put on a bit of weight and he has now emerged as one of the leading candidates to be one of the starting linebackers uh, for the Buckeyes. The article quoted Lee as saying he just wanted to get on the field and that he was willing to do whatever the team needed Whatever the coaches felt like he could be the most helpful doing, that's what he wanted to do. His attitude is one that every coach absolutely loves. Just tell me what to do, coach, and I'll do it. Tell me what position to play, coach, and I'll play it. Tell me what the team needs from me, coach, and I'll do it whatever It is. I have always admired those players who come to a team that kind of way. Uh, When I was in sixth grade, I uh, spent three days on my sixth grade football team, and I started out at tight end. My, My athletic career consists of three days on the sixth grade football team and one day of tryouts at the uh, high school basketball team. Uh, After an hour and a half of seeing me, they said, no need to come back for tryouts tomorrow. Um, So, but but my sixth grade experience was I started out at tight end. The coach got mad at me, uh, screamed a bunch of obscenities at me, and moved me to nose guard. And I said, see ya. (laughs) So um, I admire these people, even though in sixth grade I was not one of them. Anyway, I thought that was hilarious. You didn't think it was that funny. All right. But I have always admired these players who get recruited expecting to play one position, but then later they're asked to change positions for the good of the team because a coach determined that they would be most helpful to the team in another spot. Uh, Those of you who are football fans will remember, I think it was two years ago, uh, that Zach Boren moved from fullback to middle linebacker for the Ohio State Buckeyes because the team needed him to do it. He had not played that position his entire college career. He had in high school, but not in college. But he moved for the good of the team, and he did quite well. And I've seen this kind of attitude from many different players over the years, and I have always admired them for it. Theirs is a team-first Attitude. There's is an attitude that says, whatever is needed, that's what I'll do. Put me in, coach. I'll do whatever it takes to help the team. Just tell me what you want. Your wish is my command. And coaches love these kind of players. We have a few coaches in here. Do you love these kind of players? I think, you, yeah, yeah. Coaches love these kind of players. Here's who else loves people like this. 
employers. Employers love these kind of employees. In fact, many job descriptions, you may have a job description that somewhere on it has a clause that says, whatever it takes, whatever it takes. This is one of the keys to success on uh, your job, in your career, and in life in general, is to have a whatever-it-takes attitude. Make sure your actions communicate to your employer that you're willing to do whatever is needed, and you will find success. Now, obviously, there are limitations to this, but as long as your employer is only asking things of you that are uh, legal, that, that aren't immoral, that aren't unethical, that don't require you to sacrifice God or your family on the altar of the organization, if they're not asking any of that kind of stuff, then you ought to be willing to do what is needed, to have a whatever-it-takes attitude. And if you do, you're eventually going to find success you are eventually going to find promotion in your job and in your career. Friends, coaches and employers are not the only ones who desire a whatever-it-takes attitude from those that they lead. Coaches and employers aren't the only ones who desire their people to be willing to do whatever is needed. Every single one of us here today who have received Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. God desires of us. In fact, God requires of us that we have a whatever-it-takes attitude toward him. That we would be willing to do whatever he wants us to do. Fill whatever role he wants us to fill. Serve however, whenever, and wherever He decides he wants us to serve. God desires for us to have an attitude toward him that says, whatever you want from me, God, that's what I'll do. If you want me to lead a church, I'll lead a church. If you want me to teach Sunday school, I'll teach Sunday school. If you want me in business or you want me to have a career in education, Whatever it is that you want from me, God, that's what I will do. I just want to do what you say. If you choose for me to serve in a really fruitful ministry, or if you choose for me to glorify you in some really hard ministry where there is very modest fruit, God, whatever you want from me, that's what I'll do. If you want me in a ministry where I'm on the stage and my ministry is visible, or if you want me in a ministry that's behind the scenes and I never get much attention, I'm okay either way. I just want to do whatever you choose for me to do, God. This is the attitude that those of us who belong to Christ must have. Whatever you want, God, that's what I'll do. You say it, I do it. If we're going to be people that have this kind of attitude toward God, there are some character qualities that we are going to need to possess. If we are going to live whatever you want God lives, we're going to need our lives to be marked by humility. Marked by humility. For a player to change positions for the good of a team, for an employee to do whatever is needed, even if it means work that they felt like they left behind long ago or work that they now feel is below the position that they hold. If a 
a team member, if an employee is going to do whatever it takes, humility is going to be necessary. And for us to have a whatever-you-want-God attitude requires humility. Humility is a modest assessment of one's own importance. A modest assessment of one's own importance. And who is our model for humility? Jesus. Christ is our model. Here's what Philippians tells us about Jesus. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, something to be held on to, something to be clung to tightly, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, which is a pretty huge condescension from the position of God, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Christ is our model of humility. He, he didn't say, hey, listen, I'm God the Son. I'm not going to take on human flesh and experience death for those people. No. He humbled himself. He took on human flesh. He became obedient to death for our sakes. This is the one we follow. Are we somehow better than the one we follow? No. For our lives to please God, they must be marked by humility. We must be willing to say to God, do with me whatever you want. We must be humble enough to defer to God. And in fact, that's the next thing that that we need. If we're going to live whatever you want God lives, we need to practice deference to God. A coach needs his players to defer to his judgment. An employer needs employees to defer to the decision makers for the good of the company. No organization can properly function, at least successfully, if everyone insists on having their own way all of the time. Or if everyone refuses to do things that they would prefer not to do. Deference is required. And for us to have a whatever-you-want-God attitude, we must be willing to continually defer to what God wants uh, from our lives. We have to remove ourselves from the throne of our lives, and we have to yield that throne to the person who rightfully sits on it. Deference is the respectful submission to the will of another. And what we're going to look at today primarily is the life of John the Baptist. Uh, We will also briefly consider the life of the Apostle Peter. And what we're going to clearly see is that they practice deference to the will of God. God's will required of John and Peter required things of them that they would have preferred to be different. But they deferred to God, which we must always do, because God knows best. God really knows best what needs to happen in our lives. And so we must defer to him. So to be a whatever you want God person, our lives need to be marked by humility and we'll need to practice deference. So let's look at these two examples in the Bible 
of men who lived whatever you want God lives. So we'll begin and spend most of our time with John the Baptist. You're there at John 3, 22 through 30. I'll read, you follow along as I do. After this, which just refers to the story earlier in chapter 3 about Nicodemus, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now John was also baptizing at Enon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, or some manuscripts say Jews, over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, meaning Jesus, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can only receive what is given him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him, and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, and it is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So let's understand what is happening here. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Christ, announcing the coming Christ. And now Christ has arrived on the scene. He spent some time with John. He was baptized by John. And now, while John is still preaching and still baptizing people, Jesus' popularity begins to grow. And it's reported to John that Jesus has now gone on the other side of the river and he's baptizing people. And people who used to be following John are now leaving him to go and follow Jesus. Now, there are a lot of details we won't go into, but this is the part that's important for us to understand. The one John has been preaching about is now on the scene. And people are abandoning John to go to Jesus. We're told that an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, or again, some manuscripts say Jews. Uh, It's been speculated that this might have been uh, the result of some of John's followers being jealous of what they were hearing about people leaving them for Jesus. And they may have started making the argument that no baptism was better than uh, the baptism of John. Uh, Others have suggested that perhaps the Pharisees were involved here trying to make some of John's disciples jealous of Jesus' growing popularity. Whatever the case is, Jesus has come and people who used to follow John have left him and are going to Jesus. And those who are still following John come to him concerned about this because their ministry is not going as well as it did. They are not as popular as they had been. And so now we're going to find out some very important things about John. We're going to find out, was John really in it for Jesus or was he in it for himself? Was his proclamation of the coming Messiah done in order to secure for himself a place alongside the Messiah Or would he continue to proclaim Jesus 
now that it was evident that Jesus' ministry had moved to another place, was continuing without John by his side, and was actually pulling people away from John. We're about to see what John's true motivations were. Friends, I think that all of us are tempted from time to time to be really vocal about Jesus and his kingdom, really excited about the work of God, as long as things are going our way. As long as our ministry is fruitful, as long as our business is good, as long as blessings are plentiful. But the test of our motivations comes when we're called to some, excuse me, called to something hard, when we're called to serve out of the spotlight, when we're called into the shadowy places, when we're called to serve in a place that is barren and fruit is hard to come by, when we're called to stay in a job that we don't like, we're called to remain in a place that we're not comfortable with. If our calling is to have lots of success, that's great. But what if our calling leads us to a barren place? Or what if our calling includes lots of success, but we never get to a place where the success isn't also accompanied by difficulty? I don't know about you, but I have never had a moment in my life where there was something really good happening that I didn't also have something that I wished wasn't the case happening right along with it. It is almost always the case that even when we find success, there is something going on somewhere in our orbit that we wish was not that way. Will we say whatever you want God and humbly defer to God's will for our lives when everything isn't the way we want it? Or will we rebel. John the Baptist, if not properly motivated, if he doesn't see life as he really should, he's set up here to react very negatively. Here's what his followers are essentially saying to him. Jesus is getting into our territory. He's taking over what you were called to do, John. That's what they're saying. An improperly motivated man is set up here for all kinds of things. To react in jealousy. To become angry. But not John. Let's see how John responded. Verse 27, to this John replied, A man can only receive what is given him from heaven. John is simply saying, whatever my ministry is, whatever following I have, whatever my role is, I only have what's been given me from heaven. What humility, friends. What humility. When everyone was following me, I only had what was given me from heaven. Now that people are leaving me, I only have what's been given me from heaven. I only have what God gives. Nothing is really ours, including our ministry. It's God's that he's graciously given to us. 
whatever it is, and whatever it looks like. So we don't need to be jealous because it's not about us. It's about God's will. This is true for every single one of us that bow our knee before Christ and offer our lives to him. Wherever he has placed us, whatever ministry he has given us, whether bountiful fruit or occasional fruit, whether a public ministry or a hidden ministry, we only have what we have received from heaven. So there's no reason for us to be proud. There's no reason for us to be discouraged. There's no reason for us to seek to build ourselves up in others' esteem. Look at verse 28. You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. All of the ministry fruitfulness John had experienced had not blinded him to his role in God's plan. He had a very specific role to prepare the way for Christ. He was not Christ. He was simply the forerunner of Christ, the one sent ahead of Christ, who was pointing back behind himself saying, there's somebody else coming. Somebody who's greater than me is coming. Rick Warren sold 21 million copies of the book, The Purpose Driven Life, that opened with this line, it's not about you. I'm telling you, to open a book that way and sell 21 million copies, God had to be involved in that. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I mean, most of us will open a book, it's not about you. Okay, well, I'm done with that. But the man started a book that way, and 21 million of us shelled out money to read it. And we all said amen to it. But too many of us say amen to it, but don't mean it. John meant it. How do you have an attitude that says, God, do with me whatever you choose. Spend my life however you want. You do so by realizing that whatever you have is from heaven. And you do so by understanding that your life is to be about Jesus and his kingdom. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. Humility and deference. How do we serve in a hidden ministry with joy? We recognize that ministry has come to us from heaven. It has been given to us by God. And we recognize that that ministry is not about ourselves. It is about Jesus. We follow the example of John the Baptist. Humility and deference. Look at verse 29. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and it is now complete. The bride is all of those who come to Christ in faith. John is acknowledging here that all of those who have benefited from his ministry do not belong to him. They belong to Jesus. Jesus is the bridegroom. John is simply the friend of the bridegroom who rejoices over seeing his friend receive his bride. 
And this again drives home the point that our ministries, our businesses, our careers, and the people we serve, however many or however few, they do not belong to us. They belong to Jesus. We can be whatever you ask God people when we, like John, are satisfied for Jesus to receive all the attention. If I am motivated by Jesus' fame... What my role looks like in God's plan is of very little importance. I just want to play my part to increase Jesus' fame. John's was a whatever-you-want-God life. And we see that most clearly in what is probably the most famous thing that John the Baptist ever said. Verse 30, he must become greater, I must become less. This is a statement that a person can only make if they are truly willing to do whatever God wants. To say this, you have to truly be willing for God to use your life however he sees fit. The entire object of John's ministry is summarized in that, in that statement. He has labored ceaselessly to point men and women to Christ to make them recognize Christ's worth. And now Christ has come, and it's time for John to slip into the background. Humility and deference. John's life and ministry will now be diminished, and Christ's life and ministry will become the focus. Roger Fredrickson writes, Only a great man can accept his own demise with joy. Only a great man can accept his own demise with joy. I want you to understand what a great example John the Baptist is of whatever you want God living. When God's plan needed him in a very public ministry with many followers proclaiming the coming Christ, John said, okay. When God's plan needed him to slip into the background, to lose followers and allow Christ to take center stage, John said, okay. However you want to spend my life, God, whatever role you want me to play, that's okay with me. That was John's attitude. It was an attitude of humility. And it was the practice of deferring to God. Only a great man can accept his own demise with joy. And of course, we know, because we know the story, that John was going to do more than just slip into the background. He was going to be imprisoned, and finally, he was going to be put to death. He's here, he fulfills his purpose, and then he's gone. And he's okay with it. He's okay with it. Here's what Jesus said of John the Baptist. I tell you the truth. Among those born of women, there has not not arisen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Can you imagine having Jesus say that of you? There's no one greater, according to Jesus. So what's this tell us about the way of greatness in God's kingdom? 
It is a willingness to be obedient to whatever God asks. It is a willingness to say, yes, I will play whatever part you want me to play. Humility before God, deference to God's will. These are the ways to greatness in God's kingdom. Not how visible your role, not even how fruitful you are, but how willing you are to play the role that God assigns you. And we see this all through the Bible. People who were willing to do whatever God asked of them. Now, sometimes they needed extra persuasion, but they still were willing. I want to mention just one other here. I've, I've referenced this a number of times over the years because I, I just find this story so compelling. It's about the Apostle Peter, and it's found in John 21 if you want to read the story this week. Peter, many of you will remember, had denied even knowing Jesus at the most difficult point in Jesus' earthly life, uh, the trial leading up to his crucifixion. And John 21 gives us an account of an interaction between Jesus and Peter that occurred between the time of Christ's resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And it's a story of Jesus reinstating Peter as one of his followers in spite of this horrible unfaithfulness uh, that Peter had just demonstrated. Jesus reinstated Peter. He gave him the assignment to care and feed God's people. And then Jesus told Peter another way that his life was going to be used to glorify God. Here's what Jesus said to Peter. I tell you the truth. Whenever you hear that, it means this is going to happen. You might as well make peace with it. It's going to happen. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you don't want to go. And then we're told Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he said to him, follow me. Jesus has just told Peter he's going to die and that his death will glorify God. Wow. What's Christian tradition tell us about Peter? Tells us he was crucified upside down. I hope that your theology makes room for things like the Apostle Peter's death bringing glory to God. I hope your understanding of the favor of God makes room for the fact that sometimes people who are highly favored by God are given really hard assignments by the God who favors them. The favor of God doesn't mean a, a parking space near the Walmart. That's not what the favor of God means. Sometimes the favor of God requires that you still get an assignment where you die. I hope your theology has room for that. It must. Because God requires that we be people who say to him, whatever you want, God, that's what I'll do. 
Now, feeding God's people is one thing. That's, that's one of the assignments that Jesus gave Peter. Feed my people, lead them, teach them. That, that's one thing. But dying is another. And so Peter objects to this. How many of you think, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you think you might have objected? At least just a little bit inside. I'm not, I'm not sure, God. I, let me think about it. Peter objects. The Bible says Peter turned and looked at John. The John who's writing all this. And he says, what about him? (laughs) Peter wants to know if things are going to be fair. (laughs) If he has to die, somebody else needs to die too. He wants to know if John is going to have to walk the same path he has to walk. And I'll tell you, I can relate to this. I mean, I can remember being 27 years old and uh, being sick, needing surgery. And even though Michelle thinks it was irrational, thinking I was about to die. And I thought, I don't know one other 27-year-old who's facing this and about to die. It'd make me feel so much better if I knew at least one other 27-year-old that was this bad off. They say misery loves company. Peter wants to know that he's not going to be alone in his misery. I want... He's, he's essentially saying, could John please die alongside of me? I want John to die too. What about him? And I, friends, listen to what Jesus says. Jesus, meek and mild. Jesus, who only pats us on the head and tells us what we want. Jesus, who tells us we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And he just wants to fulfill our wildest dreams on earth. You know, that Jesus of popular culture, of popular myth, looks at a man who's just been told he's going to die and says, what about him? Do I, do I get any company as I die? And here's what Jesus says. If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Let yourself think about that statement for a minute. And here's how we imagine Jesus saying it. Peter, if I want John to remain alive until I return, why should that trouble you? You must follow me. I personally think that by this time, Jesus is probably just a tad bit on edge with Peter. I I could be wrong, but it's just my suspicion. I think it's something more like, Uh, Peter, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? I don't know. You can choose which it is. Either way, it's a pretty tough, pretty tough statement. You must follow me. Here's what he's saying. Someone else's uh, assignment, someone else's assignment is not your concern, Peter. You must follow me. You must fulfill the assignment that I have given you. Whatever you want, God, is the attitude that we must have if our lives are going to please God, if we're going to fulfill God's will, if we're going to play our role in bringing glory to God. How often we look at our role and compare it to someone else's in the body of Christ and we become dissatisfied. Maybe our job uh, is harder, at least we think, and so we complain. What about him? What about her? I want this to be even, God. But here's the thing, folks. God has uniquely gifted each of us. 
He has placed us in his body as he sees fit. And he has given us each assignments that he wants us to fulfill. None better than the other, just different. Will we joyfully carry out the job God has given us? Or will we be unhappy and discontented because we wanted a different job? What about you? Are you okay if where you're serving right now is God's ultimate plan for you? It might not be. God might have something else for you. But what if right now where you're serving is God's ultimate plan for you? Are you okay? Even if you perceived something more was God's plan? If you're in a hidden ministry and that's God's plan for your whole life, are you okay with that? Will you faithfully and joyfully carry out God's assignment? Or maybe it's just the opposite for someone in here. Maybe you want a hidden role. Maybe you're comfortable in a hidden ministry, but God is asking you to step into a more visible role. Will you do that? Will you do God's will? Or will you serve your comfort instead, serve your preference, if those are different than God's will? What if you want a different job than what you have right now? But God's will is for you to stay put. What do you do about that? Will you be obedient? Thankfully, God's will is often what we want for ourselves. But not always. Not always. Peter did not want to die. What if God's will takes you out of what is comfortable and what is preferred? Will you still do it? You will and I will if we understand our relationship with God correctly. If we understand that the only right response to one that we call God, one that we call Lord, is whatever you want, that's what I'll do. Now, here are some ways that we can cultivate this kind of attitude in our lives. And um, I I know I'm being a little windy today, but I only have uh, six more Sundays after this one to be windy. And then I got to be short out of necessity. So here we go. How can we do this? How can can we have this kind of attitude? I just want to share a few thoughts as we uh, wrap this up. And here's what it basically comes down to. It basically comes down to believing the right things and allowing those beliefs to fuel our actions. It's what these things basically come down to. So here's the first one. We can have this kind of attitude when we really believe that obedience to God is the best way to have a fulfilling life right now. The best way to have a fulfilling life right now. Listen, no matter how much sacrifice is required for you to fulfill God's will for your life, it is the surest way to a meaningful, fulfilling, joy-filled life in the here and now. Doing God's will is not just best for your eternity, it is best for your present. He made you, he made me, he knows us better than we know ourselves. And so whatever he has called us to do, wherever he has placed us, whatever assignment he has given us, that is the surest way for us to have a fulfilling life in the here and and now. The second thing, we can have this kind of attitude when we trust God 
to know how to best use our lives for eternal impact. You may think that the best way for God to use your life for eternal impact is to serve behind the scenes. But God may want you leading a ministry. You may think that the best way for you to have eternal impact is to be visible and be out front. But God created you and he may know that the best way uh, for you to have eternal impact is in in a different kind of role, in in a hidden ministry. We have to trust God to put us to the best use and to maximize our lives for eternity. Here's the third thing. We can have this kind of attitude when we trust what Romans 8.28 says, that in all things God is working for our good. Here's what you have to believe. It's true. It's not like you have to convince yourself of something that isn't true. It is true, but you have to choose to believe what is true. Wherever you are right now, whatever life has brought to you, Whatever role you have in the kingdom, whatever state your career is in, whatever uh, position you are in, in your business, with your company, in all of those things, God right now is at work to bring about your ultimate good. Even if something in your life right now is really difficult with any of those things, God is working in those things for your ultimate good. The fourth thing. We can have this kind of attitude when we really buy into doing everything that we do as unto the Lord with all of our hearts as Colossians 3, 23 and 24 instructs us. There is nothing in life, there is no role in ministry, there is no job, there is no educational pursuit that isn't meant to bring glory to God. And so wherever you are right now, whatever God has you doing, glorify Him In that role. If you're on the stage leading worship, glorify God with all of your heart as unto the Lord. If you're working with children in flight school, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. If you're spending hours alone in intercessory prayer, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. If you're regularly serving at the food pantry and helping the poor, do it with all of your heart as unto the Lord. If you're running a business... Do it with all of your heart. You can glorify God by the way you run your business. If you're working for a large corporation, you can glorify God by being the best employee that corporation has. If you're working in education, glorify God by, by helping to, in small ways to turn the minds and hearts of those you teach in a Godward direction. If you can't do it any other way, you can do it by praying for them. Glorify God. If you're driving a truck, do it as unto the Lord. Glorify God as you drive that truck. Do everything you do with all your heart as unto the Lord. The fifth thing, we can have this kind of attitude when we live for eternity, remembering that this life isn't just about this life. Listen, obedience to the will of God is the surest way to a fulfilling life now. But it really is true that this life is not just about this life. Heaven is our hope, and it should motivate all that we do for God. Hebrews tells us of the heroes of the faith who did not consider this world their home, but were looking forward to a better place, their heavenly home. 
You can be a whatever-you-want-God Christian when you really believe that this life isn't just about this life. And you live in the light of eternity. You live for eternity. You live oriented toward eternity. I've said this many times in recent months. Heaven is not a distraction to the mission of the church. A desire for heaven doesn't distract people from serving in the here and now. Heaven is our hope. And if understood properly, it motivates our action in the here and now. It motivates decisions like going to two weekend services. We're not doing it because it's easy. We're doing it because we're motivated by eternity. We want to reach more people for Jesus. We believe God is directing it. And so we ask you to join us in saying, God, whatever you want, we'll do. Our leaders sense, we, we, we don't know beyond any shadow of a doubt, we sense that God is moving us in this direction. So we say, God, we think this is what you want. So we say yes. And finally, we can be whatever you want God people when we frequent, frequently remind ourselves that those who do the will of God will receive their reward. Here's what Colossians 3, 24, uh, 23 and 24 say. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. When you live your life saying, whatever you want in God, that's what I'll do, you are assured that you're going to receive a reward from God. You are going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. So how about you? Will you be a person that says, whatever you want, God, that's what I'll do. My prayer for each of you and for all of us here today is that we would be people who would follow the example of John the Baptist, that we would follow the example of the Apostle Peter, and that we would say and that we would mean what we say. That we would say, whatever you want, God, that's what I'll do. That our lives would be marked by humility and deference to the will of God. That we would be unconcerned about anything but doing his will and bringing him glory however he chooses for our individual lives to do that. Friends, this is how we have a fulfilling life now. And it is how we receive our eternal reward. Why don't you stay?